If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. Well, we're really excited to be back with you this week for the One Voice Podcast. Oh, it's not podcast, it's podcast. (laughs) <laughs> Whatever. Anywho, I podcast. Told, I told Mary this morning, I think this is the first time I've spoken all morning, so <laughs> this is how it's going to go. Anyways, we're here with our good friend, Terry Jansen. She is with Key to Free, which is an organization, a nonprofit that fights human trafficking in Texas. And Terry is the founder of Key to Free, but also she works mainly as the director of education and prevention, which... For Mary and I, that's near and dear to our hearts. That's mainly what we do with One Voice for Freedom here in Ohio. And, you know, prevention, I think, is is the key to freedom, in my opinion. And, and education is the means of that. And so we're grateful to have Terry with us. We met you, Terry, when we were in San Antonio a couple falls ago, um, speaking together on a panel, which was super fun. And we were just so glad to meet you there and glad to have you with us today, Terry. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a pleasure meeting you guys as well, and I'm honored to be here today. <laughs> Good. Well, um, we'll just get right in there. I, I'm grateful. I checked out your Twitter page right before we we called you, and I saw that you had written on your bio that you're a sarcasm specialist. So I feel like we're in good company this morning. <laughs> yes! I, I'll try to keep it under wraps to a degree. But no, yeah. do not. <laughs> Unleash the beast, yes. please. We appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> Well, let's start out and just talk to us a little bit about Key to Free, if you will, and just kind of how you started getting involved in the anti-trafficking world. I, to be honest with you, don't have like this, you know, troubled past that would have brought me to this place. Um, It was more of just a change of heart where I, I was convicted about just previous judgment behaviors that I had to be completely candid. Wow, yeah. Um, and I'm ashamed. Yeah, I mean, I'm ashamed of that. Um, But I see now where that has kind of brought me to where I am now. But um, the Key to Free, uh, we started in April of 2013. And there was actually um, a group of us that went on a trip to Thessaloniki, Greece to train um, and to learn about the realities of human trafficking. And at that point in my life, I was a um, mom of three, a full-time teacher. Um, I really uh, hadn't heard that much about human trafficking, but um, what I had heard uh, led me to believe that it was something, or at least in my little naive world, um, it was something that I uh, believed that perhaps was just happening overseas. And, and it was troubling and concerning to me, mm-hmm. uh, motivated me to find out more about it, but certainly didn't realize that the path was going to lead me to fight it, um, mm-hmm. or at least to uh, try mm-hmm. to fight it. Mm-hmm. But we uh, we went on a trip, like I said, to Greece and uh, learned about human trafficking. And sure enough, did learn about the realities of human trafficking overseas, but quickly 
uh, learned that it wasn't just happening overseas. It was happening in in the United States and, and in Central Texas, where I was living and teaching and raising my children. And so um, out of that group of us, there were six of us that decided to kind of hit the ground running. We didn't um, believe that we would be able to abolish slavery on our own, that it was kind of the situation where we could say, well, uh, at least there's something we can do. And so um, as an educator myself, that's kind of the piece that I felt uh, led to to kind of run on on my end. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so we started in April of 2013. And, and there's different components of what we do. Um, it's kind of evolved. Our mission has stayed the same, but our, uh, the components have evolved into how we're accomplishing that mission. Um, we do have um, residential uh, uh, transitional housing for survivors. Um, and our, we're licensed for adult females only for our residential program. Um, we have a three-tier housing program um, based on what their specific needs are. Um, and then we have non-residential if that is um, case management, counseling, uh, life skills classes, continuing education. And then that's that's a little bit of, of what I do. So then the non-residential services, we have the life skills classes, continuing education. I am part of that. We have what's launched to freedom is our life skills classes. And we do those on a semester basis. And actually at the close of each semester, we have um, a full-on graduation from that program where the ladies receive um, a diploma of sorts cap and gown and a reception and all of that. We try to make it a big deal for them. Um, and then, um, so I, I'm part of that element. That's that's as far as working directly with the ladies in our program. That's my element. Um, but my heart very much um, is split between that and the prevention element where I do spend a good portion of each of my week uh, out in the public uh, speaking to different groups, basically, to be honest with you, anybody that will listen to me. I'll talk to them. And I talk to different groups about the realities of human trafficking, what it looks like. We, you know, debunk the myths and misconceptions. Really, my target audience are people that were just like me, that were the judgmental and confused and naive um, mm. people that chose to live in their bubble. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's who I really love to talk to, but I obviously spend a lot of time talking to youth and parents um, mm-hmm. uh, about human trafficking um, so that they can identify red flags that can um, be that prevention element. Um, and so, yeah, that's yeah. kind of, that was a mouthful, but yeah. that's a little bit of no, what we that's do. That's great. That's great. And I, I do want to unpack quite a few of what you just said. Uh, but really, okay. I love what you were talking about with the the shame piece. I think that that is sure. that's really unique um, to hear you say that so honestly, because I think yeah. that's a story for a lot of people, especially in the church. To be honest with you, yes, but yeah. people not willing to admit that. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, so, yeah. what was it that kind of was the change for you to really own that? What was it that kind of brought that forward for you to a place where you could own that that shame into a place where you could talk about it? And then, how do you use that? How how do you bring that out of others when you're speaking to them? Do you know what I mean? How how are you able to persuade them to look at their own convictions and and to be able to sure. own up to some of that? Well, yeah, so I, I'll be honest that I don't know that I necessarily bring that out of him, but it is definitely one of my goals, at least mm. to bring um, a to little bit of acknowledgement. 
Right, right. So um, I was raised in the church, and I really had a, a decent uh, childhood. There was, you know, a couple instances um, that weren't ideal, but, you know, I, I can't complain by any means. And so, um, but I was an only child raised in a, in a strong Baptist home, but to be completely candid, uh, my relationship with Christ was non-existent. It was more of a routine. It was a, um, just kind of something on the schedule each week. You go to church on Sunday, you go on Wednesday night. And, um, I was a quote unquote good kid. Um, (laughs) I, but but as far as um, relationship, um, it, it wasn't there. It was very legalistic. And I think, unfortunately, that's kind of the norm. I think mm-hmm. that's um, what I experience when I'm talking to people. That's it's, it's somewhere that I can be relatable because I think that's uh, at least, you know, 20, 30, 40, I'm almost 45 years ago, it was. Uh, re- uh, legalistic for a lot of people. And I, I do like to think that it's changing now, but perhaps not. Um, so I I was kind of by the book and mm-hmm. there was divorce in my family. There was adultery in my family. There was sexual abuse in extended family. Um, again, nothing that I uh, experienced directly, but it kind of was a situation where there was a pornography addiction in my family as well. So for me, it wasn't something I experienced directly, but for sure saw indirect effects. Mm -hmm. And rather than judging my uncle or who my cousins or whoever it was that had the pornography addiction, not that I should judge them either, but I was judging those that were in the sexual trade industry that were causing this, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, causing it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, Those that were... Yeah, so those that were in the adultery, I though I saw the fault in those that committed adultery, I saw more fault in those that I believed, in my interpretation, caused the adultery by being the temptress. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a very twisted, but in that reality, you know, 30 however many years ago, it made sense to me that way. Well, and it I think made, there's a lot of it was, tribalism to that, right? So, you know, yes. your family was the golden family. So anything that right. brought a tarnish yeah. upon what you saw, it was someone else's fault, which in the end is that, victim shaming. Right. So, exactly. so that's what you were living out because of your upbringing. Yeah, that's exactly better than I put it, but exactly what I meant to say. I mean, that that was my interpretation. That was my bubble, if you will. That was my naive um, view. And so um, so when I was exposed to, you know, if I saw prostitutes on the street or if I was exposed to pornography, it was automatic to me um, that that was behavior that they had chosen. That was behavior that they um, were wanting to do. Or um, if there were consequences to their behavior, it was um, deserved. Mm. Um, and uh, and I never had pictured myself, and it wasn't ever anything really that I would voice, um, but it was definitely something that I internalized, that I um, that I believed. And so I never considered myself a judgy person. Um, I kind of thought I was, like I said, a, a good, quote unquote, good person. Um, but I mean, not to be preachy, but really the, the transformation occurred when I had, when I developed and learned what a relationship with Christ is. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's where the conviction started to come. That's where um, the, the the knowledge and the understanding, seeing people as, as Christ does, that's where it started. And it, it wasn't immediate. It took a, a significant amount of time. But um, I think that I was just in a stage in my life when um, learning about human trafficking, I was in a stage in my life where I was ready to... Um, be changed. And so I think the timing of it just kind of fell into place. I can't say, you know, that there was a specific moment, but I think it was just a season in my life where I was, where I was more softened, right? I was more willing to be, to be changed and to be transformed Mm -hmm. and to really understand. And so it was, um, again, I I can't think of a specific moment. It was over time, but it was definitely a conviction for me to understand that, um, that it, first of all, that it's not, not their fault that they're victims, Mm. but really if personally for me, that it is not my place to judge. And that was the biggest change I had to have for me that aside from the trauma that they've experienced and, and the abuse that they've experienced, that it is never my right to put mm-hmm. myself in someone else's shoes and to determine um, how they should react mm-hmm. or how I yeah. would react in that situation because I cannot for a second put my play- myself in someone else's shoes. Even if I've been in the exact same trauma, the way I experience that trauma and the way that I react to that trauma could be totally different than, than what, how they do. Yeah, and so, so um, mm-hmm. um I, I don't know that I think that's, you know, kind of uh, yeah. one of my goals, especially when I am speaking truthfully, when I'm speaking to women, um, middle aged women, my age, mm-hmm. um, that's uh, that's one of my first goals is because mm-hmm. I again, I, I think we do live in very much a society where whether it's intentional or not, we do think we have the right to yeah. judge other people. Think or we know to, everything. Um, <laughs> exactly. Think that we can relate to their experience yeah. and, and that's not the case. Yeah. Or, you know, I would never end up where she is kind of comments. Right. Or beliefs. Yeah. 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 I love what you were talking about with this whole process of change for you, how you called it a softening and just picture, yeah. you know, like we're all just soil, right? And if yeah. we're if our soil is softened in that time, if God came in and was able to soften you to a point, I just picture that like soil where that is great a great place for a seed to be planted, right? And yeah. it was like yeah. and that's exactly what he did in you, Terry. He was able to yeah to drop the seed within you that has grown into this beautiful organization that's helping so many people and really making a difference um, in lives and for the kingdom and for, you know, him. And, but it started with you being willing to allow yourself to be softened and to own up to something. So that's, that's a really beautiful process. Yeah. The owning up is probably one of the biggest deal because I didn't, like I said, I didn't realize it, but I was really, I had a pride issue for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you said it perfectly, you know, that I, you know, kind of had this, you know, token family, right. And, and this childhood that was pretty, pretty decent yeah. to be honest. Yeah. And, and I had pride associated with that, mm-hmm. that, um, I didn't recognize. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that had to be revealed in order yeah. <laughs> in order for my heart to be softened for oh, sure. That's really cool. So how long have you now been doing this work? 
Yeah, so we are, I guess, right around six and a half years. We just celebrated our six-year anniversary in April. So, yeah. That's really neat. So in the in the course of the last six years, are there any, you know, major changes you're seeing since you began this work up until now or, you know, when it comes to maybe <laughs> local laws or public perception or, you know, is the problem getting worse or better from what you're seeing? Great question. So I get asked mm-hmm. that question quite a bit. People mm-hmm. are wanting to kind of know, you know, statistically, what does human trafficking look like? And I always, or, or how is it improving? Or what is the, what are the numbers? And, yeah. um, and I always, I sometimes, not sometimes, always cringe when people ask that because <laughs> I really, really wish that I was able to say, oh my gosh, we're making such a difference. Um, things are changing. Um, and, and I'll get to that because yes, there are. Um, but the reason I cringe at that is because six and a half years ago when we started doing this, um, I, it was human trafficking, and that's not that's sex, labor, it's uh, all of human trafficking, but it was a $32 billion industry worldwide, and unfortunately, right now, we're looking at like $61 mm-hmm. billion dollar industry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's growing, and it's growing um, rapidly. Um, it's a very lucrative business, so that number um, is super daunting and intimidating, mm-hmm. but I love that you... <laughs> Thank you for adding the piece, you know, on the end and bringing it down a little bit, you know, so we can see some smaller um, elements that, truthfully, they are, they're big steps. But, yes. you know, in, in the grand scheme, it, it still doesn't look terribly <laughs> encouraging. Um, but uh, I can speak, you know, for Central Texas or Texas where, where we are um Prevention elements, I am so encouraged, not just in Texas, across the United States. There very rarely do I come across somebody now when I'm speaking that has not at least heard about human trafficking. And I can say seven, eight years ago when Mm -hmm. I first heard about it, the norm was that no one had heard about it. So I think that it's it's a, a, a good thing and a bad thing. It's so prevalent that people are hearing about it and seeing it more in the news. But in a way, it's a good thing because now it's being identified as such. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in the past, it would just be, um, for lack of a better word, it would just be set aside as a prostitution mm-hmm. situation, a mm-hmm. prostitution case. Um, now people are ident- identifying it because of that awareness, because of that education that is now out there. Um, people like myself, people like you that are out bringing it to the light, the reality of what this actually is. Um, I think that that has made a huge, huge amount of headway in the last, you know, handful of years for sure. Like I said, I rarely come across anybody that has not heard about it. Now, they may have heard the myths. They may have heard what um, the stereotypical statistics or um, red flags about what human trafficking is. So then I have the opportunity to kind of debunk those and and tell them really what it does look like. And that's a great opportunity. Mm. Um, But but we are making headway there for sure. Um, Here in central Texas, where I in the Austin area, where I have the the, um, privilege of, of getting to work, um, we are seeing, uh, we just, we have coalitions that are being formed that are making great headway. We have um, a lot of different groups and organizations that rather than competing with one another to offer services, um, now we're seeing people start to align um, their services so that different groups can do mm-hmm. small amounts of things really, really well rather than 
trying to do a lot of things not well. Yes. And so um, I think that's, you know, that's a good step, at least in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I echo all of that. I feel like it's getting worse, <laughs> but the yeah. awareness is better. And that is encouraging to me because I feel like now there's more eyeballs out there watching for signs, yes. more equipped to know what to do if they see it and not overlook it, you know. Um, right. So it seems like we may not be getting in front of the problem as much as we should, but at least we're not just standing still, you know, at least we're moving in the right direction. Eventually, hopefully we'll keep up. Yeah, I completely agree. And and there's there's groups of men that are now educated that are um, Mm -hmm. forming, you know, groups that are educating men on the, you know, Mm. the problem so that they can fight it in, you know, the demand side of it as well, which is really encouraging. Yeah, we did a podcast um, in the past with um, one of the leaders of Truckers Against Trafficking. And I'm really excited about what they're doing. I think that's a really powerful cause. So Um, I read one time that something like a quarter of domestic minors trafficked each year are either in Texas or from Texas. Is that true? Um, so I, I don't know about the from Texas, but in Texas, I would say absolutely. Yeah, so maybe maybe coming through Texas or some. Yeah, exactly. I heard, heard that, that that was like a major yeah, so stopping place. Texas, I think, is number two in the amount of calls to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as states are concerned, I think that has, you know, it's second to California. I think, you know, it does have something to do with the size of the state, I think. But we have to all also take into account, I mean, we've got Houston as a huge port. Um, and then we've got that I-35 and I-10 corridor that's right in Central Texas. Okay, yeah. So, um, in the, so re- I can actually tell you in the six and a half-ish years, and 100% of the um, survivors that we've had the opportunity to work with were trafficked in Texas at some point. Um, and so uh, a lot of them have, you know, traveled through moving, you know, from Arizona to Florida or, you know, from uh, San Antonio up to, you know, Minneapolis. You know, it's just that corridor is just it's so significant that that's, I think, why and so much of it happens mm-hmm. um, in Texas. Wow. Um, and then those that stay in Texas, they're just moved around um, the state, often between Houston, uh, Dallas, through Austin, to San Antonio, just moved around that triangle sure. so mm-hmm. uh, regularly. Well, when you talk to teens or parents of teens, what are some of the takeaways Maybe you could share with some of our listeners, you know, things like social media, simple ways of prevention or protection from being groomed by a trafficker online. I think that would be really helpful to some of those listening that, you know, they feel like they don't know what to do. Maybe it's, you know, a mom of a young teen or, yeah. or, or maybe it's even a teen listening. What, what are just a few things that maybe you talk about when, when you're teaching your, your trainings? So I am a mom of three teenagers right now. <laughs> wow. So this is lived experience. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. So when I'm talking, if my kids are with me, they're always like, this is the part where my mom tells all my friends that social media is a bad thing. So I try to approach it as, as realistically as possible. To be honest, I have three teenagers. 
all three of my teenagers have some form of social media. Mm -hmm. We have to be realistic and understand that that is just the direction that, you know, in technology, I mean, that's that's really the direction that we're going. I mean, and and to fight it would be, well, would be kind of silly, to be honest. So I try to tell parents that social media isn't a bad thing, but it can be. Mm-hmm. Bad thing. And so, with whether I'm talking to teenagers or parents, I'll just I'll just speak as if I'm talking to both. Um, we talk about safety, how to how to be smart, really, um, and 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 not be naive. So, I do spend a good amount of time talking about how uh, human trafficking, uh, sex trafficking, trafficking specifically, is not the percentage is very, very small where someone is taken or abducted. It is very much a grooming process Mm -hmm. where a a relationship is established prior to the abuse. And so, um, you know, depending on the the various vulnerabilities of the potential victim, that grooming process could take months or heightened vulnerabilities really could take just a matter of hours, days, weeks. You know, it, Mm -hmm. it, it just varies. And so uh, social media and internet, um, gaming, online gaming, mm-hmm. um, you know, traffickers are, they're not idiots. They're actually very smart, manipulative, resourceful. And um, and so they, wherever kids are, mm-hmm. um, whether that's a physical location or online, wherever kids are, that's where they're going to be. And so um, as parents, it's really smart um, that we monitor our kids' social media, our their gaming activities. My son, I we do. We let him. He's a thirteen-year-old boy. We're going to let him play games, but he's not going to have headphones on, chatting with people on the other end of the, you know, the the computer or the television without us hearing the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so that's one of the rules. And if there's some, you say we, there have been times where we said, shut it down. You're not doing this anymore. You're not playing that game anymore, or you're not playing with where the chatting, the, the conversation can occur. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's been times where it's been healthy and fun. And so again, just being a parent is really, really important. Um, not raising your kids to think they are entitled to their privacy and whether it be their phone or their computer, things like that. Mm -hmm. Parental controls on things. Mm -hmm. We're not here to be our kid's best friend. We're here to be our kid's parent. And so um, setting those boundaries, yeah, (laughs) setting those boundaries, setting those expectations Mm -hmm. um, and limitations are critical and crucial, even if our kids are mad mad at us about it. Again, I have three teenagers. Not a day goes by that I do not upset someone in my family. <laughs> I hear you. Oh, man. <laughs> I hear you. So, um, so again, it really is about being a parent. Now, what I say to kids is about social media is to have um, to, to not have um, their uh, location available where you can state where you are at all times. I tell them that they need to not have their uh, their privacy needs to be where their location is not available to anybody who is um, following them or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, interacting with them on social media. So um, the reason being, again, not uh, virtually uh, uh, predators are going to be where kids are. But if your location is being displayed on your social media, then if they're so in, if they're interested and so inclined, they can physically be where you are or at least start 
start to track patterns of behavior. And so, um, and so I tell kids, first of all, yeah, you have your privacy up so that nobody knows where you are at times. But then I also tell them that it's important that when they're posting pictures on Instagram, that they aren't always, I mean, occasionally you can, but don't always post where you are when you're post, when you're taking the picture. Yeah. It's okay for people to not know that you're Absolutely. You know, as a 39 year old woman, a lot of times I'll end up posting where I was because I don't want people to know where I am right now. Yes. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. Yeah. Post a picture after you've gotten home and say where you were. Yeah. That's exactly how you can handle it. Um, Because, yeah, sometimes it is fun, especially, you know, for kids to be able to say that they, you know, got to do something at such and such location. That's, Mm -hmm. That's fun. And we get that. But just finding a healthy balance. I tell kids, students, uh, young adults even, that when they are posting pictures and tagging their friends to Mm -hmm. understand that even if they have their privacy settings on, let's say that the three of us Mm -hmm. are somewhere and I have my privacy settings on, but I've tagged. Uh, marrying Nicole and saying that we're together mm-hmm. at this location. Mm-hmm. Well, I have now made Mary and Nicole's friends that are following that maybe they don't have the privacy settings on. I have now told all of their friends where I am as well. Oh, and so yeah. It, it, yeah. So now Mary's friends, even if maybe Mary doesn't have her privacy settings on and Mary lets anyone follow her, um, whether they're friends or not, and there's somebody that's interested in um, knowing where Mary is at all times, but then they see Nicole in the picture and they're like, ooh, I'm interested in where Nicole is. Who's this Nicole? Well, now Mary's friends have access to where Nicole is. And so it's important for kids to tell other kids safety ways, you know, safe ways of using social media as well, because you're not just concerned about yourself. You need to be concerned about others Mm -hmm. as well. Um, That's kind of a mouthful, but in in short, that's the best way to maneuver Mm. and to uh, utilize social media in a a safe-ish way um, rather than not using it all. Uh, Those are some really, really great tips. Thank you so much, Terry. You mentioned that you have kids. So how's the intensity of this work uh, affected your, let's say, family life, your home life, you know? the way that you parent, yeah. <laughs> how has that affected it? Um, and what are you doing to, you know, take care of your own health? Yeah, well, that is, um, I think, a perfect timing that you would ask that because that is definitely a season we're in where that has become a challenge. When I start started doing this, all three of my children, my kids are all really close together. They're all three, with all three of my kids are within three years of one another. Um, And when I started doing this, all three of my kids were in kind of that target age range of, um, of victims of human trafficking, kind of what they look for. And so I started this, um, very much fear-based, um, and Mm. it was, it was a challenge because I kind of uh, wanted or had this idea that the best way to be a parent um, at that time was to put my kids in the bubble that I was in control of. And that's kind of funny to say, because I know I'm not in control of anything, but it was, I, I, it was kind of just that um, mama bear type of a thing where I felt I needed to shelter them. And it was very much fear-based. Mm. Um, I am thankful 
truthfully from all that I have learned and all that I've been exposed to and the ways that I have changed mm-hmm. um, in in the last six years um, because it is still a challenge for me to not parent in fear, um, but I've almost found freedom in um, this knowledge. And, and mm-hmm. I say knowledge because I, I, I hesitate saying it because I do not know it all. And I, I never will. There's, there's no pride mm-hmm. in me saying knowledge, but sure. just the wisdom that I know received, a lot more um, than you did six years ago. I, I do. I know a lot more and I've kind of come to a place where I have, I, I've decided that because of what I know, I'm not going to allow that to, um, to put me down that, that fear element. I'm going to use it more in the empowerment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my kids, my kids know, I've told them, my kids have positive influences in their lives. We surround ourselves with people who um, have stories, yeah. who my kids, my kids have the privilege of interacting with people in our program that have seen seen the world for what it is and can then impart wisdom into my children. Mm. Like I, I, this is, it, it's a privilege to get to do what I do because these people have so much to give me and have so much to teach me and my kids. Mm -hmm. And so I've used what I've learned to then make almost um, parenting uh, more easy. I mean, that sounds so weird, Mm. but it, it, I, I, I realize that I have no control over what happens to them, but I do have control over what they learn and what they experience and how they um, are taught to react to certain experiences or to prevent certain experiences. And so I've learned to kind of just let that go to a degree, Mm. but it is a battle um, as far as um, for lack of a better word, my mental health. Um, I, I, have recently the past couple of years started going to counseling because I hear a lot of things that it's really hard not mm-hmm. to take them on, take yeah. that stress and that burden and that pain on yeah. for other people. And I saw it affecting me in various degrees as far as my shortness mm-hmm. um, in temperament with my kids, um, tr- truthfully, complete exhaustion, yeah. um, weight gain, all of that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the direction that you're Absolutely. wanting. Absolutely. Yeah. Here, it Keep it real, reality. girl. Let us know. Yeah. How much do you weigh? Just kidding. Um, don't go that far. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not sharing. <laughs> don't be asking me. Yikes. That was for you, Mary. No, but really, I mean, it does. Um, it takes a toll yeah. in every area. I'm really proud of you for taking that step for counseling because, you know, having that safe yeah. place to unload, process. Well, so you're not taking it into, you know, your kid's bedroom at night. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I didn't really think I needed it. Mm. Um, like I, I, I just, I felt like I was doing okay, sure. but I just went one time just cause I was interested. It mm. was the best hour of my life and I've never <laughs> turned back. Like, <laughs> yeah, I like, I love it. I think it's so, it's so great. Like I would tell anybody that even thinks that they are quote unquote functioning at a high level and doing great. And like, oh, just go and there's, it can't hurt. It was, <laughs> So I've really, I've really enjoyed it. I, mm-hmm. It's an opportunity for me not only to vent, but it's an op- more so for me to be filled. Um, I really, I enjoy it. I find it, um, I find it therapeutic, and that's enough. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I would say, you know, more the, the biggest thing is definitely just um, physical and, and mental, emotional exhaustion um, yeah. is definitely something that um, I've noticed for sure mm-hmm. over the last several years. And um, somebody said to me, as actually our pastor said it in church, I think a couple of weeks ago, um, but he said, what are you losing at the expense of winning? And I was like, what do you mm-hmm. mean? And he was like, is it your, you know, are, are you in order to, you know, and he didn't say this part, but this is what I, it, this is what I ingested in order to um, make this nonprofit serve as many people as possible and benefit as many po- people as possible. All of that is a great thing. All of that is a worthy cause. All of that is worthy you know, a a good way to spend your life, but are you losing your family at that expense? Mm, And so that was, yeah. And are, or are you losing your own physical health? Are you losing your marriage? Are you, you know, what are you compromising in order to make this nonprofit function at a high capacity? Mm. And, um, and, and, and I didn't have any like conviction is that, oh my gosh, I need to fix this, fix this, fix this. But it was just, okay, I I truly believe that God kind of gave me that word as something to be aware of. Mm -hmm. Balance is a good thing. And I can't be on call 24-7 for six and a half years. That's not realistic. Or maybe not Um, even six days. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) My, uh, My daughter did say to me, um, last summer, so a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. um, the wisdom of at the time a 14 year old. And she said to me, mm-hmm. she goes, Hey mom, I, I love what you do. I love being able to tell people. And, and this sounds a little prideful, but this wasn't her heart, but sure. she's saying, I love being able to tell people what you do. I'm proud of what you do. Mm-hmm. She said, however, sometimes I feel like you are their moms, meaning the, 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 mm. the kids in our program. Sometimes I feel like you're their mom, which is great, but sometimes I wonder where my mom is. Oh. And I was like, Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. yeah. So for me, that was convicting. And then, like I said, this little word from our pastor a couple of weeks ago, just on top of that, I just need to continue to keep that um, awareness so that mm. I, it can pour out, but I, in order to have something to pour out, I need to um, fill up with something too. And so, um, anyway, so it's a balance that I think is an ongoing uh, <laughs> struggle, isn't the word? An ongoing, oh, I don't know, figuring it out as yeah, I go. Yeah, process. Tug yeah. of war. Journey. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Well, I I get it. And I I really love what you said about how your knowledge has, you know, it can be fear-based parenting, but you really wouldn't have it any differently. I I would yeah. echo that for myself. It's like sometimes I'm like, I, and I say this to my friends who think maybe I'm a little bit too strict or sheltering or crazy, <laughs> um, that, yeah, I, I've heard way too many stories. And so I, the lens yeah. that I see people through is completely different than the lens other people do, you know? Yeah. You know, for instance, I don't know who listens to this podcast in my community, but so my kid came home with a a paper for to join like a club, an after school club where they would just go running after school for an hour. So instead of riding the bus home or whatever, like you pick your kid up an hour after school, they walk to a park with 40 kids, one male parent volunteer, one female parent volunteer. 
who lets their elementary kid do that? My kid's dying to go do this because he wants to hang out with his friends and do something healthy. It sounds amazing. On paper. But as a mom who hears stories all the time of coaches, pastors, teachers, parents, you know, friends, friends, parents abusing their kids, like, hell no. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. So that's difficult for me. But in a way, you know, the, the choices that I've made for my children and the way that I protect them or the way that I talk to them that's different from other kids' parents, the things that they know versus other kids in their class I honestly wouldn't change it. For me, I feel empowered to be able to, in the past, I might be a little, I'm not sure, like I feel a little weird about that, but I don't want to, I don't want to hurt someone's feelings or, you know, I don't want to hold my kid back or all these things. So it was so great for me for a minute because I was worried about what everyone else thought. And then it's just gotten to a point where it's not worth it. And I would rather be very strict and strong in what I'm saying or the decisions that I'm making for my kids. And maybe, maybe it's wrong, but whatever. Like, I'd rather make these empowered decisions because I know what I know. (laughs) And and in the end, you know, again, I, uh, I just feel stronger as a person to not care what other people think in a way. I feel like it is the knowledge has strengthened me to a point where I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and then to have the softer conversation with the child as to what the decisions are, they always are cool about it and they get it. It's more, it's a great opportunity to build relationships with your kid, with your kid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you absolutely tell them no. I tell my kids no all the time, uh-huh. and they may not like it, but again, like I care about my kids, yeah. but because I care about my kids, I don't really care if they're mad at me for my decision. <laughs> That's it. That's it. So, yeah. And yeah. it also has given an opportunity for me in certain situations to not only build a relationship with my kids, but to build relationships with other parents. Because if I speak my mind and yeah. I don't really care what they think about the way I'm going about it. And I say, it's not always speaking my mind. It's more just like coming to at them from another perspective they may have never thought about. Yo, you've never met me. I've never met you. I don't know who's in your home. I'm not dropping my kid off at a house. I don't know anyone that's at, you know, anyone that's there. I don't know what's going on. I don't know who's hiding in the closet. (laughs) You know, I don't know anything. (laughs) So when I've come to parents and said, like, this is just how I do things and also come with a perspective of a survivor, it's always interesting how they'll open up and they'll be like, I always felt weird about those things, too, but I just. I just had the party because that's what everybody else does. And I dropped my kids off because that's what everybody else does. But it's starting to change the conversation. And now it's like I've noticed that the parents that I've come to in that certain way, now they do that. So it's really cool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's not just keep doing things the way that everyone else has been doing them. It's not good for anyone. Yeah. And it puts your child at risk. So. Anyway, I like what you said about that. I think that's that's really good. And um, and also just grateful that you're taking care of yourself now, Terry. You are a beautiful human being. Um, so fun, so full of joy, <laughs> such a light. And um, it was a joy to have you on our podcast today. Thank you. 
Thank you. Well, if anyone wants to hear more about your organization, Key to Free, where would they go? You mentioned Twitter earlier. I wish that I was more um, tech savvy. Uh, We do have Twitter, but um, we don't do a whole lot on it. But we do have Instagram and Facebook, and (laughs) our website is really the most information there. Um, And it's just uh, the key to free dot org the two is the numeral two rather than the letters so k-e-y-2-f-r-e-e dot org awesome well thank you so much terry thank you thanks a lot guys bye-bye Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org. 